Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello Texas, farming and ranching never takes a rest and neither do we here at Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me, buckle up, let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, this has been a great year for growing corn here in Texas. We'll head up to the Panhandle to check on the corn crop there as they wrap up harvest. They had a great corn silage harvest. Of course, silage is a big part of the corn crop up in the Panhandle. And they had some very impressive grain yields this year as well. We'll have that story to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The Texas High Plains is a region rich with agricultural history, and there's a special place in Lubbock where you can go to learn about that history. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. U.S. red meat exports are going strong into Japan and South Korea. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those numbers on today's report on Texas Ag today. This is James Duncan in Marshall, and the month of November is very, very busy. We're still planting some winter pastures, but we're also preparing for spring gardening, bulb planting, and the weather is absolutely great. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. This has been a great year for corn silage in the Texas Panhandle. Jacob Richburg is a field agronomist for Pioneer. He's based in Plainview and says corn silage yields in his area have been excellent. Had a tremendous year as far as silage goes. Some of our farmers are looking at some of the best silage yields across their farms they've ever made. Anything uh, on our better water, better irrigation stuff, we're seeing uh, 28 to 30 ton averages as, as far up to 30 or 32 ton yield averages. And what about corn yields for grain, Jacob? Yeah, on grain, we're, we're seeing uh, some very good yields as well. Some of our middle-of-the-road stuff that we're typically doing 2 to 220 on, we're looking more in the 240 to 250 bushel range. Some of those farms where in the previous years we've been in the 250 bushel range, we're looking more at the 280 to 300 bushel range. Richburg says sorghum yields in his area have been great as well, with some reports of yields over 150 bushels. A Texas rancher will be featured at an upcoming national conference. A second-generation Texas rancher has been selected as one of the featured speakers at this year's National Grazing Lands Coalition Conference, December 6th through the 9th in South Carolina. Meredith Ellis of G. Barcy Ranch in Roston will discuss how ranchers can provide nutritious food to a growing population while leaving habitat and natural ecosystems intact. The other featured speaker at the event is U.S. Congressman G.T. Thompson, the ranking member on the House Committee on Agriculture. 
The goal of the coalition conference is to bring people together from across the United States to discuss grazing lands management and the best ways to conserve the resource. There are several other Texans on the agenda, including Kelly Ebel of Ebel Grasslands Ranch in Sulphur Bluff, Julie Maddox of Maddox Prairie Farms, and Michael Gola of Texas A&M University. Additional details about the conference are available on grazinglands.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Republican Senators Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Deb Fisher of Nebraska have joined Democrats John Tester of Montana and Ron Wyden of Oregon in announcing the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. The compromise cattle market bill is another effort to return fairness to the cattle marketplace dominated by four major meat packers. The legislation will establish regional mandatory minimum thresholds of negotiated cash and negotiated grid trades based on each region's 18-month average trade to enable price discovery. It would also require USDA to create and maintain a publicly available library of marketing contracts between packers and producers. The proposal is endorsed by a number of state and national organizations and including the American Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union. The Texas High Plains is a place rich in agricultural history, and James Hunt tells us there's a place in Lubbock where you can go to learn about that history. The FiberMax Center for Discovery in Lubbock is a facility that the center's executive director, Lacey Hulting, says has evolved from what were initially a bunch of agricultural artifacts and the idea among local leaders that there ought to be a museum to house them. From humble beginnings that once included using a borrowed building, the center officially opened in 2012 and has become something quite substantial. We now encompass over 40,000 square feet of interior space, a 24-acre park in McKenzie Park, uh, downtown Lubbock, and all those artifacts that were collected early on have been combined with technology to tell the story of ag's past, present, and future. Holting says the center houses literally thousands of items, including some machinery that dates back to the 19th century. But as to that storytelling technology Holting mentioned... We have three different holograms that talk to visitors. We have a cotton stripper simulator based on the John Deere CS690, makes the round module. Uh, we have lots of kiosk and touchscreens and interactive elements, hoping to appeal to a variety of audiences. And something we'll talk about more in future reports... Holting says hopes are that next year funding will be in place to begin building a special children's wing to teach young people not only about farming and ranching, but also about the diverse range of career opportunities in agriculture. To learn more about the center, go to agriculturehistory.org. And here's a calendar note. On Sunday, November 14th, the FiberMax Center for Discovery is having a holiday harvest shopping day from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., with free admission and more than 20 vendors. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Both U.S. beef and pork exports are on a record pace through September. Tom Nicoletti has the story. For the first three quarters of 2021, beef exports increased 18% from a year ago, valued at $7.58 billion. That's up more than $2 billion, or 36% from the same period last year. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and Chief Executive Officer Dan Hallstrom. 
The big news on beef is that this momentum that we've seen the last several months continues. We weren't quite a billion in sales for uh, the month of September, but we're very close at 950 million. Japan, Korea, and China, Hong Kong continue to lead the way. All three of those markets forecast to be in excess of $2 billion for the year. But you have some other uh, regions around the world as well that are adding into this, Latin America in particular. So broad-based growth on the beef side, very positive. The September stats on pork were similar trend lines to what we've seen the last couple of months as Mexico, Central America, South America, up big. And we've seen this continual trend line where the rest of the world is picking up the slack from China. China was down a little over 20%, similar to the last few months. For pork and beef exports, there's a rebound in the demand for variety meats. The good news side with China was that we saw a significant rebound on the variety meats. Variety meat sector is a sector we probably don't talk about enough. These products, while not consumed readily in the U.S., they're preferred from a culinary standpoint in a lot of these markets, especially some of the emerging markets. And it complements the, the muscle meats in a lot of ways, especially into the traditional wholesale markets, the wet markets. Variety meats are really, really big. That is Dan Hallstrom at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Winter pasture planting is wrapping up in East Texas. James Duncan has an update from Marshall. Most of East Texans that plant prepared seed bed for winter pastures got that all done. We're ready to go. We're still doing some overseeding on some of our pastures to get some extra ryegrass grazing in that early springtime. Now, the project of good pasture management never ends. Right now is an excellent time to start your thistle control, and we find that we have to do that on a plant-by-plant basis to get a really good kill. Those individual treatments seem to work the best when you're trying to get rid of that pesky thistle. Now, in uh, this time of the year also, we're thinking about spring, and the Master Gardeners of Harrison County are having a bulb sale the weekend of November the 13th. You can keep that in mind. There are many varieties they have that are heirlooms, and these bulbs are grown and produced by Texas producers in the Texas climate, and it makes a better plant for you. Recommendations for planting uh, with the Texas weather and not the northern climates that we hear so much about quite often. By the way, you can go online to the Harrison County Master Gardeners website and order bulbs that are Texas-grown bulbs right now. The hay show is coming up here next week at on November the 9th. We've got a good number of entries ready, and the protein is going to be just a little surprising to most of the producers. We've been worried about this all summer long because of the rains early in the spring and some of the problems there. But it's coming up, and we're looking forward to a good show, and we've got the entries coming in, and the weather right now, everybody's enjoying it. Made squirrel hunting a little better. Deer season's cranking up, and we're going to have a good season there. Evidently, the deer are moving, and the uh, Parks and Wildlife tell us we've got a, a good season ahead of us here in East Texas. This is James Duncan reporting from Marshall for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission has taken action on the proposed rules for deer breeders. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And ulcers in horses can lead to decreased performance. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. 
It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Ulcers in horses can lead to decreased performance, but Dr. Bob Judd says they can be tough to diagnose. Dr. Frank Andrews indicates in The Practitioner that colonic ulcers can lead to a decreased appetite, dull hair coat, mild colic, and intermittent diarrhea. Due to the vague symptoms and difficulty in diagnosis, many horses have these symptoms for months before being diagnosed. One study of over 500 horses that died from other causes indicated that 44% of non-performance horses and 65% of performance horses had colonic ulcers. Current treatment and prevention includes reducing bulk in the diet, providing coating and conditioning agents for the GI tract, avoiding abrupt dietary changes, reducing stress, and minimizing the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, especially phenylbutazone. Dr. Frank Andrews indicates in The Practitioner that stress and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are the most likely cause of colonic ulcers. Certainly, horses traveling to shows have some abrupt dietary changes, regardless of how hard you try to prevent it, and these changes can increase the risk of colonic ulcers. A lot of horses with colonic ulcers exhibit clinical signs that could be caused by other diseases, like a decreased appetite, mild colic, fever, and intermittent diarrhea. All of these symptoms are also common with a horse that has stomach ulcers, and a scoping of the stomach is indicated to rule out this problem. Colonic ulcers are difficult to diagnose, but a fecal occult blood test has been shown to be 72% accurate in diagnosis. The right dorsal colon can be examined using an ultrasound, and if the wall is thicker than normal, ulceration and inflammation is likely present. Metamucil, omega-3 fatty acids, and sacralophate have been shown to help with healing these ulcers. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission has taken action on the proposed rules for deer breeders. Jessica Domel tells all about it in today's Wildlife Report. Citing concern over the spread of chronic wasting disease among the captive and wild deer populations, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission has adopted new rules for the state's deer breeding industry. Deer breeders now must live test any deer over a year old at least eight months before releasing it at another site. And all deer that die at breeding or release sites now must be tested for chronic wasting disease. The state's trap, transport, and transplant permit program will be temporarily suspended. 
Mitch Lockwood, Big Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, said these amendments are designed to increase the odds that CWD will be detected early and reduce the likelihood of exposing additional breeding and holding facilities to CWD. The rules adopted by the commission also shorten the time frame that deer breeders have to submit their deer's CWD tests to the lab. It's no secret that staff believe that this is a very important component of this proposal, especially considering that the two index facilities from this past spring were already following all of the proposed amendments that I just shared with you, with one exception, and that is one of those facilities did not submit samples to the lab as timely as we propose here. But despite that, this disease still went undetected in those facilities in the previous years, and at least some experts argue that went undetected longer than that. Anamortem testing prior to release almost certainly would have detected this disease much sooner in both of those facilities. Before the commission's vote on the new amendments, several deer breeders and associations spoke out against the new rules, saying the testing requirements put an undue burden on the industry and could cause breeders to leave it. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw lower trade Thursday in the live cattle market, but feeder cattle moved higher. We'll update all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-size hail and baseball-size hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-size weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex closed mixed on Thursday. Live cattle finishing lower while feeder cattle moved higher. We'll start with the live cattle market. December down 12 cents, closing at 131.87. February down 42, 136.40. April down 7 at 140.25. Feeder cattle closing higher. November up 67 cents, 157.32. January feeders up a dollar two at 159.07. March Feeder cattle up 87, closing at 160.45. Cash fed cattle market looking great this week. We've seen cattle sell mostly in the 131 to 132 range. That's $3 higher than last week. Of course, those are live sales. Dress sales up north, looking at 205 to 207 this week. That's four bucks higher than last week. Boxed beef prices mixed Thursday. Choice down $1.29 at 284.23. Select up 33 cents, 266.95. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's head out to Angelo, talk to Benny Cox about the sheep and goat sale he had in San Angelo on Tuesday. Benny, how many noses did you end up counting? Oh, we got along real well. We had 56.39 for a total sale, which is a good number for this time of the year. Uh, we still didn't have many of those wool lambs like the week before, so there wasn't any way to establish any trend on those. The slaughter lambs, which, of course, most of those are air sheep type, they sell from 10 to $15 higher. 
the slaughter ewes, that was a crazy deal. The slaughter ewes were 15 to $25 higher. Some of them probably higher than that. The kid goats, 5 to $10 higher. Slaughter nannies, uh, 180 to 234 mostly 190 to 212 Your mature billies, anywhere from $2 all the way up to 260 But most of those kind of selling in that all oh, 210 to 230 range. On the few wool lambs that we did have, they sold in a range of 244 on some big old things, weighed 110 or so. And some lightweights that sold up to as high as 310. Slaughter lambs, light into those, 280 to 388. Uh, heavier weights from 240 to 335. On the slaughter ewes, they sell from 110 all the way to 162, but most of those, 132 to 160. On the kid goats, they sell in a range from 310 to 388, but mostly 348 to 365. Some of these uh, light feeder kids uh, up to as high as 440. Good. Do you have any new talent in the auction barn yesterday same old cats there's a couple of those people that just you know don't buy bigger groups maybe from the metroplex you know gooseneck load or something like that there mm-hmm. was two or three of those that that are normal they're not here every week but uh, yeah we had a lot of a lot of activity the market was real active and most everybody that from the outside that comes they were here so so that made a difference as well good deal tell everybody how to get a hold of you they can call me on my mobile it's 325 325- Two three four four two seven seven. Office same area code six five three 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 seven one. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, that's it for walking the pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host, and I'll host you again tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs close lower on Thursday. December hogs down thirty two cents seventy five thirty seven. February down twenty five seventy nine oh seven. Class three milk was higher. November milk up nine cents, eighteen nineteen a hundred weight. December milk up five at eighteen oh eight. A quiet trade in the cotton market on Thursday. Not a lot of news to move the market. As a result, we didn't see much movement. The market held in check somewhat by the Veterans Day holiday. Both USDA and the Federal Reserve closed on Thursday for that holiday. December cotton down 14 points, finishing at 118.54. The March up 36 to close at 115.41. Same story in the corn market. Not a lot of direction. We closed narrowly mixed after those big gains we saw earlier in the week. December corn up a quarter penny, closing at 569.5. March corn down three quarters, 578 a bushel. That was not the case in the wheat market, however. We have seen excellent gains in wheat, moved both hard and soft wheat markets over 8 bucks this week. And we added to those gains on Thursday. Tight wheat supplies around the world helping to support prices. Also news that Russia may increase their wheat export tax. They've got an export tax on wheat going out of the country. They're trying to keep that wheat in the country to fight food inflation. They're thinking about raising that tax. That, of course, tightens supplies even more on the world market. And that helps out our prices. July Kansas City wheat up six and a quarter, eight fourteen a bushel. July Chicago wheat up eight and three quarters at eight fourteen and a quarter. In the energy markets Thursday, December natural gas was up twenty four cents, five twelve. December crude oil down thirteen at eighty one twenty one a barrel. The financial markets narrowly mixed on Thursday afternoon. The Dow was down one hundred sixty two points at thirty five thousand nine seventeen. The Nasdaq up 81, 15,704. The S&P up 3 at 4,650. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. 
For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.